the one piece of advice I give is just keep producing content and it's going to go slow at first, but then the, the power, as I say, the power of compounding will cause it to accelerate. Welcome to the Substack podcast, where we have conversations with independent writers, bloggers, thinkers, and creatives of every background. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for coming on Substack podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. You write the macro tourists, which you describe as an almost daily email about markets. From my poking around, it kind of looks like finance with a bunch of memes involved and <laughs> very like breezy, irreverent style that definitely caught my eye. And it seems sort of like that breezy, fun style has also sort of dictated your career path. Uh, from what I can tell, you've kind of had a very interesting path to getting here from trading for other people, trading for yourself, um, and now also writing about trading. So yeah, be just diving right into like, what is your day job right now? How did you end up here? Okay. Well, um, in the nineties, I actually was, um, an equity derivative trader at a Canadian large bank. And so what they do is we sit around and we make markets for institutions like pension funds and we trade, um, blocks of stocks. And in my case, I actually traded, uh, ETFs like index derivatives and other fancy stuff like that. And I, was very fortunate because I got that job in the 90s when I was actually, I hadn't yet finished university. Um, and I got the job because as my boss told me at the time, there was guys better at computers and there was guys better at trading, but I was the right mix of both. And back then there was very little computerized uh, trading. And what I was, was I had that ability to kind of bridge the gap and so I was hired to handle all the index clients and it was a very entrepreneurial firm. And before I knew it, they had gone from me just covering clients to me trading for the bank, meaning taking positions until finally I was the basically head risk taker for the equity derivatives for most of the late nineties during the dot-com bubble. Then what happened was my daughter was, our daughter was born and she was born with a heart defect that, uh, it was fixed at birth. It was one of these things that the wonderful doctors came in and, and uh, they operated, operated laparoscopically and, and fixed her problem. But it was one of these moments in life where you kind of sit back and wonder what's important in life. And I decided that that was, uh, there was more than just trading and I wasn't having as much fun because the bank was becoming increasingly like a bank and less entrepreneurial. So before the market crashed in 2000, I, uh, hung up my uh, skates and, uh, and I kind of semi like quit slash retired. So I came home and I thought to myself, you know, um, I can go work for a hedge fund or do something like that, but, uh, I can also go try trading for myself. And if it doesn't work a year from now, I can go back and work for a bank or a hedge fund and nobody will remember that year. Well, one year turned into two and then turned into five. And next thing I know, I had gone 15 years uh, just trading for myself with another guy. And uh, during those periods, it was kind of lonely at times. So I started writing um, a, a blog, or it was actually more of a journal when it first started, because one of the things they encourage traders to do is write down your thoughts. And uh, people would phone me up and say, what do you think of the market? And I would just say, oh, you know what? Here, I'll send you off what I wrote to myself. And that's how the macro tourist was born. And uh, for the longest time, it was just a free thing. I like to, uh, because I don't work for a bank anymore and because most uh, research is often boring and not very uh, 
kind of fun to read, I, I do like to make it a little more fun. So at the very least, I always say to people, I hope to make you smile. And definitely going through some of your posts, I was <laughs> giggling to myself. So And I don't even understand finance, so it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, your goal has been achieved. What is the world of finance blogging like? Or I don't even really necessarily know, is that the right term that you would use? But there, there are other people that write like you. Um, but like what you're doing is very different. For sure. There's a lot. Um, there are a lot of blogs out there. And one of the things that um, a lot of people as well do in finance is that we are big Twitter users. And uh, it, it ends up being that Twitter is the perfect vehicle for traders and investors because what you want is basically real-time information flowing back and forth. So there's many people that will be on Twitter posting kind of long-form, like stringing together 20 tweets that they kind of give their views and they include charts. And then there's some that go off and actually go and create full-on blogs. Uh, there's a very famous guy called the Reform Broker that's on CNBC, and he originally started as just a broker that wrote a blog until he parlayed it into uh, you know a million plus Twitter followers and uh, a job on CNBC. So it's definitely something that that that's, that's out there. One of the problems occurs is that anybody who works for a large firm is often hindered by compliance. Compliance basically means like legal sign off because there's, if you're registered as an investment advisor, it's difficult for you to write. So there's a, there's a whole slew of guys that are very, and, and, and women's very similar to me in that they don't work for anyone but themselves and are posting information out there like my blog. And, uh, it's, it's not, although I would say that my, um, my style's a little unique. The fact that I'm writing a finance blog is, is by no means unique. Did you, because you are, it seems like you're someone active on Twitter as well. Like, uh, did your, did Twitter come before blogging? Did blogging help with Twitter? No, so I hated Twitter. When I first turned on Twitter, I was like, it, it felt like a fire hose coming at me and I didn't really understand how to use it. And then for the longest time, I would write my blog and I would just put uh, a link to it on Twitter just because I felt like I had to. And then I noticed that some guys would uh, be taking my like blog and taking a couple of charts from there and putting a little sentence or two on it. And they would be getting all these retweets and all this information. And I realized that it was kind of a tool that I could use to promote myself a little bit. And uh, it is frustrating. Like Twitter is, um, it's like, it's, 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 it's a great tool. And it's also a great kind of uh, almost drug that you have to be careful of because, you know, you can find yourself getting sucked into a lot of holes that waste a lot of time for no productive use. So, uh, so the way I use Twitter is originally it was it was um, just a way to get my brand out there. It's still that way. I I do say that having a large Twitter following is is actually beneficial to traders because when I need some information or or interested in a point of view, I might just throw it out there and say, "Hey, does anyone have this report? Or does anyone know what's going on with this stock?" And it's really quite helpful that way, uh, Twitter. Do you find that the people you're talking to on Twitter are similar to the people that are also following your blog or is it a different sort of? Uh, so I have a lot more people that will follow me on Twitter than the blog. Uh, so I do find that they are often different, but there is also some huge overlap. But it's Twitter ends up being a little more fast moving information where the people that are reading my blog are probably not the type that 
are as interested about every tick and staring at Twitter all day. So there's kind of more traders that are glued to screens, I would say, on the Twitter. And then on the blog, it would be more. Uh, there's still some traders reading it that way, but there's a lot more kind of serious uh, longer term investors. If you started writing before you were using Twitter, how did you get anyone to read in the first place? How did you end up growing your audience? Well, so when I first started writing, I, I just, as I, as I said, I wrote it for myself and I just ended up putting it out there because, you know, a couple of guys asked for it. And then I said, they kept phoning me back and saying, oh, can you send me what you wrote today? And I said, you know what, I'll just put it on the internet. And although I had always kind of in the back of my mind said, oh, it'd be great there, you know, if I could do this kind of, and actually people would read it. It was never originally something that like I set out to do. And there hit a point where after doing it, I realized that it was actually people were reading it and it was just getting passed around kind of by word of mouth that I kind of understood that it was not only could it eventually be something like what it's turned into a letter that people pay for, but it was also a great tool in the meantime to network and to learn about uh, markets and to be able to talk to different people. So I really used it as a communication tool because one of the problems was when I used to work at a big bank, people would give you a fair amount of kind of just, I don't know if respect's the right word, but at least, you know, you had a certain sort of uh, authority because you worked at a bank when all of a sudden it's just, you know, a couple of guys sitting around an office banging around S&Ps, it doesn't actually air itself to somebody that, you know, if you wanted to talk to a, an economist at a bank that anyone would bother talking to you. So I, I, I realized that as it got kind of people started reading it, it ended up being something I could give so that I could receive back some information. And that's how it really kind of morphed for the longest time. I said, I'm just going to write this thing, put it out there, and then I'm going to receive back as much as all the effort that I'm putting into it. I felt like it was coming back, back at me in more than enough to pay for itself that way. <laughs> and so in terms of uh, how did I do it, it just slowly, you know, I, I still remember going from like 100 to 200 Twitters. And I remember, uh, I remember it crossing in 1,000. And I'm sure for, you know, I don't have that many really when you look at people with, you know, a hundred thousand or a million. Uh, but I just, it just kind of one of those things that it just, that the power of compounding just ends up working. If you, and one of the advice I always give people when they say, how did you go about doing it? I always tell them to write and write on a regular basis. Because one of the things that a lot of people do is they go and they start writing and then they're, then they fall off. They don't bother with the kind of the discipline of it. And so people want to, they, a lot of times people are desperate for content, but what they don't want is you for to go away for two months and then you're back for two episodes and or three episodes and then you're gone. So I always told people to make your schedule and stick to it. And in fact, when I first started, I forced myself like at a certain point when I realized it was a real something that I wanted to develop, I forced myself to write every day no matter if I didn't have anything to write about. I just like figure out something to write about. And I remember reading, uh, Jonathan Colton is this kind of independent music guy. And he did an experiment where he forced himself to write, I can't remember, it was like 52 songs in 52 weeks. And he just, and he would put it out there for free. And it was something, and I, and I kind of took inspiration from that because 
nothing like a deadline of like having to write something and publish that day to force you to come up with some ideas. And not only that, it ends up making you a better writer. So true. I, I find myself often telling other writers also like that consistency is the most important thing. And it, it sounds really boring because it just means you have to keep doing it for a while until someone notices. But it, it's when people start following you, they they want to know that they're going to keep getting something. And like personally, like I only commit to a monthly newsletter because I can't bring myself to write every day. <laughs> but I really admire that. <laughs> I, I think it's like I imagine if you're writing every day, it kind of takes the pressure off, too, because you're like, well, if this one's like, OK, then maybe the next one's better or something like that. Well, that, that's true. You're, you're absolutely correct that if you do, you're going to have some duds and then you're going to have some great ones. And the other thing that I found over the years is I can't even predict my good ones. Like the ones that seem to re resonate with people. Like there's ones that I have like spent ages on, you know, worked hard on, thought, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever write. And then I send it out there and it's crickets. And then there's something else that I just kind of have a whim and I just polish off something. And it's all of a sudden everyone's going, oh, that's so amazing. It's so like, you know, different way to think about it. So I, I, it's difficult, and I completely agree with you. Just the discipline of doing it, whatever your time frame is, whether it's monthly, weekly, daily, just do it and do it consistently. Do you ever feel like, I guess, like who is agreeing to get an email every single day from me in, my, in their <laughs> inbox? I, I don't know. Well, you know, maybe it's different in... Um, in finance, we get inundated with tons and tons of research emails. So it's actually not that unusual to have somebody write every day. And in fact, there are guys that uh, write on, you know, even way more than every day. So it's really, yeah. it's really like when we go look, you'll, if you were like what's called a buy side trader, meaning a client that's getting serviced by all the big brokers, your email, you might get. 500 emails in a day, in a day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so one of the things that I was always amazed about is that when I would go look at people that would take the time to read it, I was always thankful and, and very appreciative because I understood how much competition there was out there and how many other people were reading it. So that's one of the things that I, that I, I, I never want to take for granted because there is so many different people out there that offer such great, you know, products and great services and stuff like that. So you should always be appreciative of the people that spend the time to read your stuff. Hmm. It kind of takes me back to just thinking again about your writing style and again, not having read a lot of other finance things, but it definitely stands out. It's, it's definitely memorable because it is just so fun and, and light and easy to read. Um, and you were saying that when when you went sort of more independent you were working for yourself like it was another way to help build credibility which i think is so true like when you don't have like a, a company brand or something behind you then it's sort of like well my writing and my voice is sort of like your portfolio and, and builds your credibility is the culture of people that are reading your stuff like i guess i'm sort of like surprised that like on the one hand it's sort of building your credibility on the other hand you have this like incredibly irreverent style and so um like the <laughs> Like, is it just that people enjoy reading that sort of humor? Do you think like, is it, are you operating in a more buttoned up kind of world? Is it a corner of finance that's a little bit less buttoned up? So I would say that most finance is less buttoned up than it seems. Hmm. And especially on the trading side. Um, in fact, you would almost argue that there are a bunch of bores and um, that this is more what they would, this is more how you would talk, like how you would speak to each other at bars and how when your traders are speaking. And so one of the things that I, I guess um, my writing is also more real. 
it's almost like the difference between seeing an essay uh, that you hand to your professor versus a note you send to your friend. Hmm. And that that's kind of how I would I would say. And one of the things I will say is that I've noticed a change in style. So when I first came up with, I put a picture with a meme on the front of each and every every one of my posts. And I took that idea from another guy's blog in Canada that wrote kind of a real estate blog, but he didn't put any kind of, he didn't tie it into his article and he didn't put any writing over it. He just took a funny picture and put it at the beginning. And I thought, well, that's a great idea, but really you should tie it in and try to figure out a way to you know, make it kind of fit into the article. And uh, I, when I first did it, it was something that very few people in finance, I don't think I'd ever seen apart from this one guy's real estate blog, I'd ever seen anyone do it. And I've noticed that there's more and more people doing it. And to the point where you're even seeing banks and they're kind of the last to do it. They're doing kind of more funny things. So like that, I, so I, I definitely kind of sense a different tone in terms of people have become more, less buttoned up and there's less formal writing style and the whole world is going more casual and, and finance was probably one of the ones to, to, to be last to do that. But I do definitely notice that there's been a trend that direction. Has anyone ever been like surprised when they meet you of like you in real life versus you in writing style? Well, so my wife, tell, so my wife always tells me, she says like, you don't swear in real life. Why do you swear in your thing? Like, and, and she always says, you, it's almost like you're trying to be cooler on the writing than you actually are. So she's, uh, she definitely, uh, kind of laughs at me about that way. And, um, I don't know. Other people read it and they say, oh, no, that's just like Kevin. So I don't know. Maybe I, I portray something different to my wife than to, to the guys on the trading desk. But uh, I do I, I, I do think that it's um, it, I think people find it refreshing because it's definitely more honest and more real than most writing that they're getting. I can definitely see it also just being the kind of thing that people want to share around and like talk about and forward to their friends and things like that. Um, do you have it? Do you feel like you have a sense at this point of like, how did, how did your list grow to the size that it did? Like, how did people, how are people finding it now? Is it now that you do have a more active Twitter presence of it through that? Like, how uh, do you add more subscribers? So I, I do also a bunch of like, I do, I have a podcast I'm on, there's like, there's a bunch of different, um, media type alternative media finance stuff. And I was lucky enough to get involved in that. And, and people would phone and ask for me to appear on their podcast. And, and I remember I was so scared the first time I did it. And I, and I stumbled and, and I just, and I, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to be asked again. And then luckily enough, they, they, they took pity on me and they asked me to come <laughs> back. Um, and I just, for the longest time, I said to myself, just keep doing it until you get better at it. Just like my writing, I, I felt like the same way. I was like, keep doing it until you get better at it and you will get better. It's like anything else. You practice long enough and you get better at it. And I forced myself, uh, you know, people would see it and I'd force myself to say yes to like radio interviews. So I remember I would go down and, and it didn't matter if it was like a Saturday morning show that, you know, probably only 200 people were listening to. I forced myself to do it just so I would get practice speaking. So I've been lucky enough to have a presence in this kind of alternative finance community that's helped me with getting exposure. And so that that's one of the big things. And the Twitter, I, I kind of figure by now, uh, everyone that, uh, that follows me on Twitter probably knows about what I do. 
it's not like it's going to be a surprise that they kind of find you that I write this letter. But it's just what it does is every now and then on Twitter, I'll do something. I remember I made this one tweet storm. I, I was I was on vacation and I had this real big view about something and I made this tweet storm and I made it funny. It's kind of like almost like one of my letters, but I did it on the Twitter and it got just, it went viral. It just, you know, got over a hundred thousand people passing it around. And all of a sudden the, uh, some, somebody that had uh, a radio show on Sirius FM uh, asked me to come and talk about it. And so I went on to that and then it just kind of, then you get more and it just kind of builds on itself that way. So just I, I, the one piece of advice I give is just keep producing content and it's going to go slow at first, but then the, the power, as I say, the power of compounding will cause it to accelerate. And, and then all of a sudden, your, your first from 100 to 200 Twitter followers is tough, but then from 1,000 to 2,000 is actually almost easier. Hmm. It's interesting to think about all these different interviews or sort of like public artifacts that you're leaving around. It's like, people end up finding those later, right? Like someone is probably always discovering some interview you did that was pretty popular. And so every time they find that, it's almost like a, like passive income for getting more subscribers or something because they're just littered around the internet. Right. And you know what the problem is? I did this one. Uh, it was called Interview with Traders. And I, and I, I am hesitant to say it because everyone's going to go listen to it. And it was one of my first ones I did. And I, and I really wasn't very comfortable. I didn't know how to speak properly. Not that I'm great now, but I was really bad then. And, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm even now I cringe as I think about it, but I didn't realize it when afterwards I asked the fellow, like, how many people do you have listened to this? He goes, Oh, I don't know. 60, 80,000. Oh I, like, I was like, what? I was like, I was like, I just spoke to a football field. Right. And, <laughs> and what, and to this day, I still have people coming to me and saying, Oh, I just stumbled upon your interview chats with traders. And I, I completely agree with your analysis that those kind of things, when you get those opportunities, it stays on the internet forever. Like, you know, they, how they say what, what goes on the internet never leaves and stuff. I guess there's, there's terrible things when something bad stays on the internet, but there's also good things when something good like that stays on the internet. Do you ever find that you hit uh, plateaus with growing your list? Like you were saying, you know, 100 to 200 is, is hard. Uh, getting from 1,000 to 2,000 is easy. Um, is there a point where you're just like, like, I think we've talked a fair amount now about um, how to get like your first hundred subscribers because it comes from friends and family and you're sort of just like passing things around and, um, but then sort of that like longer term growth, is, was there a point where you're just like, ah, like I don't actually know how to get more people coming in? I, I didn't actually think about it like that. I just kept thinking about doing what I do. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to do things that interest me and I'm going to continue doing it. And hopefully it interests other people. And I just always would say yes to any opportunities. And it's definitely lumpy. It doesn't come in a nice, smooth, steady plateau. Like that one, that one chance freak um, uh, tweet storm that I did that then I got onto Sirius XM and I was shocked. Like, uh, like, my Twitter exploded. My followers exploded from that. You'd be surprised. Like I, I might've been sitting around kind of incrementally going up, up, up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then there's this one opportunity and then all of a sudden, then boom, it accelerates from there again. And now it might go sideways again, blah, 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 blah. And then the next thing will happen. And maybe one day it'll stop growing and I'll plateau it. And that's, that's so be it. And uh, that's, that's life. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't actually sit around trying to do that too much because 
the way I operated, I write stuff that I would like to read. And I, and I'm almost just doing it for myself and then hoping that I'll find my audience that also likes to read it. And I really think that's important because there's lots of times that I've kind of been tempted because I've, I've seen, oh, that article there, if I did that, I bet you I could get a lot of people that would follow me. But then I wouldn't really be doing it like things that I'm truthful for. And it's not something that would be really me. That would be almost like a business that's like, I don't know. It just, I wouldn't want to have my name on that. I don't know how to describe it, but I want to do stuff that I'm proud of, that I, that I believe in. And hopefully I just, if I keep putting it out there, people will find it. And other people that kind of feel the same way as me, I'll find my audience. I really love that. I think it's also, I feel like having that sort of attitude is what will keep people writing in the long term as well. Because once you're, if you're thinking about in terms of, well, what am I going to do that's going to get a big hit? Or what am I going to do that? like other people are going to like versus like, I like doing this thing and I'm just going to keep doing it and write the things that I want to read. And like, you could do that indefinitely. Right. Right. Yeah. And if my list goes down, like so far I've been lucky that it hasn't, but if it goes down, so be it. And those are, those are my crew. And like, those are the people that I'll write for. And that's, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been writing and I'm glad that you find it fun because I also find it fun and I'm like laughing as I write it sometimes and sitting there <laughs> thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I'm making a funny picture and it just makes me laugh. And I, and I just, I get joy from it. And ultimately, I think that comes through. I think people see that I enjoy doing it and that, that's important. And I, above all else, I don't want it to be like a job that I'm, that I'm like, oh God, I got to write again. And right. the moment it, it does that, then I'm probably, I'm, I'm probably not going to, I'm probably not going to be writing stuff that people really want to read. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm curious, you've been writing since before Substack existed, <laughs> um, and now you're on Substack, but when you started, it sounded like it was something you're doing for friends. And so like, just, I guess, sort of from like an infrastructure perspective, um, what were you using to, at what point did you even start collecting email addresses and like, how did you start managing that? Um, and then at what point did you decide to move over to Substack? Okay, so I, you're right. I've done a variety of different um, platforms. I, I think uh, let's go through them all. Probably started on WordPress, moved to Squarespace, eventually went to um, Jekyll, which is a static blog, uh, and wrote our own. Like I had, like my old business partner would write uh, code for me. Most of the time with the emails, I, I think I exclusively used MailChimp. I would tie it into the websites. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the, the tool that I used for the longest time, whether it be a WordPress, Squarespace, or our own Jekyll kind of statics blog. We would usually send out the emails via MailChimp. Now, MailChimp is fine when you've got a small little list that you're doing for friends and family. Once you get to um, a larger number, it starts costing and it actually starts costing a lot. And, you know, it's one thing to write and spend your time for free. It's another thing to be sending out this list and, and shelling out 200 bucks a month, you know, for something that you're giving away. And so <laughs> this is one of the things that I found. I was actually, I hit this point where I, I, I kind of was looking for alternatives to MailChimp because I found MailChimp very expensive and, and not, not everything I was hoping for in terms of ease of use. 
And I, I went and looked and I experimented with Sendy, which is an, a platform using Amazon's uh, email sending. Uh, but that's complicated. You had to go make a, a Amazon kind of uh, kind of instance in the cloud. And although I did figure it all out, it wasn't something that was easy. Then I went and uh, I looked at, there was another one that I can't remember what it was called, SendMail. There's a variety of different cheaper ones that I kind of looked at. And I'll, and I'll be truthful. This is how I came upon Substack. One of my, um, one of my uh, buddies writes a, a blog on here. And uh, he had sent me something. And I liked the looks of the email that he sent. And I kind of looked at it. And I was like, oh, what's this all about? And I read about it. And then I saw that you guys offered the ability to go and to send emails for free. And I thought to myself, wow. And I was like, and you guys said it right there. You said, look, if you never charge for your letter, you can still send it. And I guess I'm going to end up being proof that your, your marketing strategy works because I ended up choosing you guys. That's how it started. I sent you off my, um, my list and I imported it and I started sending using your Substack to send off my emails because I was looking for an inexpensive way to send it off. I'll, I'll, when I first sent you the list, I had unfortunately at one point gotten, um, uh, I don't know how to describe this, some Chinese like bot program imported, like it went bananas one time and, and my email list went from 10,000 to 30,000. And then I thought I had cleaned it out, and but I hadn't cleaned it out properly. And so when I imported it all and then sent out my first email list, your, your tech staff looked at it and said, oh, a whole bunch of these aren't working right. And they were going to some weird address. And I was shocked because here I was, I wasn't paying you guys anything. And you guys were taking the time to come and say, look, this isn't, there's something wrong here. There's these, all these crazy bot ones. Why don't we clean this out for you? And I was like, holy smokes, I really like these guys. This is terrific. <laughs> and I was like, I was just shocked because like literally, like I didn't ask you. You guys came and said, this will work a lot better this way. And I thought, oh, what a great firm. And yeah. so I, I kept looking and then I, I, I hit this point where I decided I was going to pay for it, like charge for my letter. And so I, I'd gone back and forth between maybe using Ghost, which is kind of a WordPress platform that also includes um, the ability to send off emails. And I was going looking at it and then I was looking at the whole, you know, how I would go about taking payments. And then I looked at your solution and I thought to myself, wow, I've already been impressed with their, with their service. Here it is. These guys seem to really know what they're doing. And I can go and turn this on in basically overnight, really easily turn this on and they'll handle all the, uh, the billing and all that stuff. And I think it's more than a fair price, how much you guys take. I think it's completely fair. And I thought I'm giving you guys the benefit of the doubt. I'm going with you guys. So your marketing of giving this way, like allowing people to send free emails work completely with me because I ended up using you in the long run for it. And I can tell you, I've been nothing but ecstatic about the way that you've helped me go through this whole process. I've never um, charged for anything, so I had no clue. When the Stripe payments started coming in, I was nervous about stuff. Somebody emailed me back and said, no problem. I had some problems with some visas not going through. I emailed and it was, again, taken care of right away. It was a wonderful experience. And I can't, like, I can't tell people enough that how pleased I've been with the, uh, 
with the Substack as a kind of a model for me, because one of the things is that I, I'm, I'm a single in terms of like, I don't work for a firm. I just work for myself. And the time in terms of billing and all that stuff is really important to me. I can't, I don't have time to do all this. And so I, I found it a seamless, wonderful experience. And I, and I'm just so pleased that I chose Substack. I know that sounds a little like I'm doing a sales pitch, but it's, it's true. And and it's like, and I, and, and we, I remember one time um, somebody said, they emailed me and said, I see you on Substack. Do you mind if I talk about it? And I said, you can talk about me, you know, talk about it anytime you want, because I'm so happy with these guys. It's been so great from that experience. You know, listen, I, I still have, you know, just to show that I, uh, that I do have my complaints. The fact that I have to put Substack in the, in the, uh, I can't have a custom domain. It's, mm. it's a, uh, I'm sure you guys hear that You've all the time. heard it once or twice from other people. <laughs> so, I, so I will say that, that, you know, that is my one huge kind of, and, and I like, listen, I actually thought about it long and hard because of that custom domain. And I ultimately said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not bother. I'm going to live with the, the, the domain. And I would highly suggest everyone else do the same and not worry about it. But I, if, if we're chatting now, here's another vote for a custom domain. It is definitely something we've heard from a lot of people and something that we're trying. Yeah, to fair enough. I get it. Like it's not, yeah. you, you know, there's some bigger issues and it's not easy to kind of do that. But uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, it's been good to a, hear. Despite a, that, you're still you're still with us, which is awesome. Yeah, to hear. Um, yeah. We're really glad <laughs> at, at the end of the day, the, uh, like adding a Substack is that big a deal? Like I, I I'll tell just for those technically uh, in, inclined, I just repointed, um, I forwarded the domain so that it, when you do go to my root domain, it actually goes to rootdomain.substack.com. So it's not like people had to redo their um, like their links and stuff like that. It actually can still work. It just doesn't work as clean as like as it, as it might be. That's right. Yeah, because you used to have the macrotorts.com, which was you had your blog hosted on a separate website, right? And then you also that's correct did your email newsletter through um, through Substack. And then when you decided to go paid or add paid subscriptions, you decided to just sort of like combine those two things together. That's right. I just didn't want to bother. Like I wanted to keep it all one and the same. And you know, I've been really happy with the with the whole experience. I, I, I find it um very pleasing to the eye and it's easy. It's it's not too complicated. It's very uh snappy. Some of the some of the like when you get a WordPress that has too many plugins and stuff, it very quickly kind of bogs down. I found none of that. I've had no problems with like any sorts of uh not saving, like writing half a post and losing it. That hasn't happened at all. It it's it's been nice, it's clean. It's, uh, and it works. And that's, uh, that's the most important thing. It allows me to spend more time writing and less time worrying about technology, which is ultimately what I was looking for. That's exactly what we aim to do. So I'm really glad to right. hear that. Um, I would love to hear more just about, I mean, you, you decided to launch paid subscriptions or, I mean, really you just switched completely to paid, um, pretty recently. And so, yeah, I'm curious, like after years of writing for free, like what made you decide, like, Screw it. I'm going to go add paid subscription. So I did it for a variety of different reasons. Um, I guess at a certain point, I, I kind of felt like, okay, uh, I'm, af I'm offering enough value that I feel like I should get, get paid for it. Uh, so, and I looked at a lot of times other people would send me notes and say, listen, 
I'm doing this for like, you know, I'm making money on this and you're doing this for free. <laughs> like, they're, can you stop it? Like they were like kind of mad at me. Um, so, and, and it was increasingly taking time. And that was the other thing is as, as I did it more and more, it took time. And I found that there was more and more people that were kind of contacting me as I did it. Whereas at first it was great when they were contacting me and I'm still appreciative of everyone that, that ever contacted me, but it was getting to the point where I was having, I was becoming overwhelmed with uh, the amount of uh, contact that I had. And I had a choice that I could either just stop, you know, start ignoring people, which I don't really like doing, or I could turn this into a business, which was always kind of my dream and my goal. So I, I, I decided just to take the leap of faith and, uh, and to turn it into a paid subscription. And so far, so good. There's been a, a lot of, uh, long-term, uh, long-time uh, macro tourist readers that were very supportive. And uh, I'm appreciative of all of those who just immediately signed up. And uh, I just like, if they're listening now, thank you very much for your business. Uh, it enables me to actually focus more time on it. I feel like my last posts have been better than they ever were because now I feel like it's a job and I can actually uh, devote more time without worrying about having to make a living as much on the side. Did you, can you talk to a little bit of your thinking of, um, so like a lot of writers that add paid subscriptions also continue to have some free posts, but you went like a hundred percent pay and you just said like, you know what, like it's, it's just entirely a fee. I think you use the term a fee-based newsletter. Um, what was your thinking on that of, did you consider right. maybe doing some free posts? So I did listen to that. Um, uh, in fact, I, I see that you guys actually encourage writers to do that. I chose not to, and and I'll and I'll tell you why. Um, I also chose to do no um, discounts, and uh, I know that your system offers discounts. And I just said, no, this is this is the deal. I'm gonna. Uh, I don't want people to uh, sign up for a letter and then feel like you know if they waited six months they would have got a better price. So I committed that there's nobody who's going to get a better price that I wasn't going to be offering deals later to get more subscriptions. And then in terms of the free stuff, although I haven't um, completely uh, kind of eliminated it, I don't think that uh, it's fair to those who are paying for me to, to do it in terms of giving it away. And so it just kind of, it was what made me feel comfortable. It's like, like I was kind of thinking about it from a point of view of if I was buying the product, what would I want? And, then, uh, and I'd want it to be an exclusive service that I paid this money for and I don't want it to going out to other people for a less, less of a price. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. And I think it makes sense to given your particular audience and it, it sounds like it's I mean, I love the the phrasing of your announcement too, where you sort of like, I'm respecting my readers' time. And it really came from, a, it, to me, it seemed like it came from a place of like understanding what your readers wanted, what they valued, um, and doing it in a way that was uniquely yours and unique to your audience. And it seems to be going really well. So. Well, yeah, I promised them. I said, you know, when I, over the years, when I've collected the emails, I've often said, you will not get spammed by me if you're like, basically, I'm either going to be sending you content that I'm proud of or that's it. And so when I went, when I went kind of pay, I decided to send one announcement. I said, this is the announcement. I'm doing this. Uh, these are the reasons I'm doing it. This is what I hope to make better. And, uh, and I went through like my list of kind of improvements I was going to make to the, to my letter. And then I said, 
And I won't be bothering you again with about this because one of the things that really bothers me as someone who's signed up for these are those emails that are basically nothing more than just kind of marketing material. And they're kind of like half written articles that, that just end up like being teasers to try to get you to pay for the whole thing. And, and that just always left me with a bad taste in my mouth. So I just, I, I vowed that I was never going to do it. And, and I, I've stuck to that, uh, that philosophy and that, that promise I gave to my readers. Love that. <laughs> How did you decide on pricing? People are paying $35 a month. Is that right? For Yeah. So it's $35 a month or $350 for a year. Uh, I, I, I looked at the other people's, uh, basically the competition. And I, I, even at 30, at, the, at that price, some of my buddies that, that also write letters told me I was too low. <laughs> I did, I did want to go, uh, I, I didn't want to start too high. I figured that this is the way I thought about it. I can always raise, I don't want to ever lower. So I, I, I kind of thought I'm going to go to my level that at, at that point, if it doesn't work at that price, then I don't want it, then, then that's, I don't want to do it for money. And, and so it doesn't matter. And that's how I looked at it. Now, you have to realize, though, that my audience is a little more niche than other people. So, mm-hmm. I, so I'm never going to get the million subscribers. This is just never going to happen for me. It's like I, I write about very, you know, you have to be very interested in markets to read my letter. And so for me to price at a, like, at a level where I'm going for a million people, it's just never going to work. I'm just not going to get it. So I, I would rather pick something that I think is fair. And as I, as I said, I ended up choosing a level that was uh, comparable. I've, I picked other newsletter writers that do it. And I said, okay, that's where they are. I'll go on the lower end. And as I say, I can always increase it later if it's successful. That sounds like writing for a, a smaller niche audience is almost like one of your goals, um, at least from reading your announcement where you're, you mentioned... Um, you're able to add comments now because before when you had free posts, you didn't really want like random people kind of coming in or just sort of having this like fire hose of of commenters um, and, and feeling sort of overwhelmed by reader requests. And so like having this, having paid subscriptions sort of allows you to sort of focus on this smaller audience of people that are like more dedicated, I guess. Um, That's for sure. And one of the things that I'd like to say is that was again, a reason I chose Substack is I was like, Oh, look, they have comments. It's easy. And I, I, you know, in my post that you read, I, I obviously I, I said why I previously didn't have comments because free comments, there's a, there's a very famous uh, website in, in the financial community called Zero Hedge and Zero Hedge has got um, many, many, you know, hundreds of thousands of readers. And he used to go and republish my, um, my p- pieces. And I, and I, over the years, I would often let a lot of people republish it. I was basically, yeah, sure, it's free, you know, more exposure for me, the better. And so when I would go look at the comments, I was horrified. And it was, and it wasn't just my articles. It was just like in general comments, just like, I don't know, it seems to be, it's, it's even worse than Twitter. It was just horrifying. It was like, and although I, I try not to let it bother me, I'm still human. And, and it just, it just. It, I, I, so I, I never turned on comments because it seemed too easy for the trolls to come out. And so now I was like, okay, if I'm, if somebody's paying and they have an issue with me, 
then I don't mind them putting in the comments. I don't mind us talking about it as like as 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 adults and respectful adults. And I think that by I think you get rid of all the trolls. And it's not to say people won't disagree with me. I have never have a problem with people disagreeing with me or wanting to present a different view. It's it's just those people that almost just seem like they want to fight for the sake of fighting. And generally those people that do that, they're not willing to pay per month for it. So, so one of the <laughs> things was, it was like, it was a pleasure to turn on the comments and I've loved it. It's great. And I get to interact and I get to do some feedback and stuff with the thing, with the, with my, with my readers. And it's been terrific that way. And it's actually, it's, it's been a, it's been a kind of one of the better parts of going to paid is that I've been able to turn on the comments. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Um, definitely something we've heard from other writers as well. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about adding if, <laughs> if you care enough to pay and comment, then like you're probably a different kind of person than that. Right. Yeah. You just get, I just think you're just getting rid of the trolls. And that's all I, you know, that was just basically it. As much as I try to not let them bother me, they just do. And you just like, and uh, I do have a funny story though about, about trolls on Twitter. So a lot of people block on Twitter. And the, the thing about when you block is that the other guy knows, the other person knows that you blocked them. And I refuse to let anyone know that they've gotten to me. So I just mute them. So meaning that I don't see what they're doing. So they're just kind of yelling at me and, and doing it. And I kind of get a chuckle thinking about them just yelling <laughs> into a void. <laughs> Love it. So, cause, cause you know, if you, if you block them and they, they know they got to you. So mm -hmm. nobody ever knows who, who got, who I, who I've muted or not. I was talking to someone who says he does the uh, soft blocking a lot on Twitter where you just like, you force someone to unfollow you and then, and then they get really frustrated because they're like, I thought I followed this person and then they keep getting unfollowed, but it's not like blocking. It's like, oh, this person blocked me. That's oh, like, I didn't know yeah. you could force unfollow. Like you could. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. You know you, I think it's like you block and then you immediately unblock. I've done it on a, with a couple people on Twitter. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And then they're not following anywhere. So <laughs> yeah. if you want a new subtle trolling the trolled. Uh, <laughs> That's it. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, so I, just to sort of wrap things up, um, is there anything you've discovered since going paid that was surprising to you? Is there anything you're going to change based on reader feedback? Um, what are your plans for the future? Well, uh, is anything, is anything changed in terms? Well, there has been some things, uh, unfortunately I went paid right in front of this, um, financial crisis which is kind of like some people said, oh, terrible timing. And other people said, great timing. <laughs> and I, I will tell you that I have been completely and utterly going crazy from the markets because this is really unprecedented at times. Like there's, uh, it's been a hundred, it's been a century since we've had like a pandemic and uh, the markets just don't know how to deal with it. So it's been very busy that way. And so I haven't had a chance to really do some of the things that I wanted to do in terms of putting portfolio recommendations and stuff like that. So although I've turned on comments and I've done a few other things like that I said I wanted to do, my full kind of move into uh, my kind of end version of my letter is not quite there yet. But having said that, um, my the comments have been very helpful. It, it, it kind of it makes me understand what people are interested in reading. So there's been a couple ideas. I have a list of posts that I want to write. And I kind of just write them down quickly. It's been great kind of, uh, one of the things is that a lot of these people that will used to email me and I would take the time to email them back. I said, listen, why don't we do this so everybody can read it? And it's not just, it's just not me and you that are 
conversing and, and everyone can gain from the knowledge. Because a lot of times, listen, the people that are reading my letter are often smarter than me and actually have much more knowledge, especially about certain industries or certain parts of the market. You know, for me, I call myself the macro tourist. And the reason is, it's like, uh, it, I, for those who don't know finance, it's actually a derogatory term. And what it, it means is it used to be traders that would come in and, and just kind of wander into something, not really knowing what they were doing, uh, a big macro trade, and then they were tourists and then they would make a mess and then leave. And so I always kind of, that it was kind of part of my is self, you know, making fun of myself uh, kind of style to call myself that. But one of the things is that when I write about such a variety of different topics, meaning that like I don't just stick, uh, stick to one talk, topic, I basically work on a whole bunch of different things that there's people who know more and they might read my letter and kind of comment and give me ideas or give me some more uh, kind of color in terms of how it's working. And sharing that with the kind of my reader and my community actually really helps everyone, not just me. So that's, again, why I like the the, the, uh, the comments so much. And in terms of like other things that I'm going to do, uh, no, I actually just, I, I can't tell you how much I've just been pleased, how easy it was, how great, like, uh, and uh, I'm just going to continue doing what I love doing, which is writing uh, posts and letting you guys handle all the back office stuff. Sounds good to us. <laughs> uh, where should people find you if they want to check out and follow your work? Well, so I guess I should give you my Substack uh, email. I mean, our Substack uh, kind of domain. So it's themacrotourist.substack.com. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can go ahead at Kevin Muir. And uh, it's a M-U-I-R. You're from San Francisco, so you know all about John Muir. And, That's uh, right. So I, always, I can always tell people from, uh, from the West because they always ask me if I'm related to John Muir. And, and what's uh, the answer? Uh, no, I, 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 you know what? Muir is a pretty common last name, so I don't think so. Um, it, it's, it is always fun though going and seeing Muir Woods and uh, yeah, just gotta pretend that, they're your. They're yeah, your that's woods. right. <laughs> <laughs> These are my woods. <laughs> well, awesome! Thanks for joining and chatting with me. It's a really great conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me, and thanks for the great product. I really appreciate all your hard work, and uh, I look forward to being part of your community for some time to come.